I know that people will pull their money, even just temporarily, when yeah. things get crazy. Because anytime an investor has money, a savvy investor has money in a place, and that place becomes unstable or vulnerable, they will pull it. Yep. And so you got to you have to ask yourself, what's going to happen to your money when they pull theirs? Welcome, friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. Welcome back, folks, to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing, where we are helping everyday folks get financially unstuck. This is Mike Hatch. Uh, your co-host along here with me is P.W. Gopal. And P.W., you are looking dark, my friend, because <laughs> darker than usual, um, we, are, we are ebony and ivory, and you are looking more ebony um from being at the beach yeah my um i had a friend a long time ago say that there were 32 shades of black or wow. brown brown if you will and and i definitely went up a good nine or ten notches uh i was at the beach for a week and and i hate the beach like i don't like i don't like sand or people or you know anything like that but um it's a, it's a spiritual and holy place for my wife. And so she just comes alive and Caroline loves it. And I'm obsessed with fishing. So I've learned how to surf fish and so I can kind of be with them. And, uh, and, yeah. and I, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed like sitting in the sand with surf rods up and, um, yeah. 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 I was going to say you, the one good thing about, the beach then is there are fish and and you caught some i mean it wasn't your best trip fishing trip but it wasn't my best showing um i caught garbage <laughs> fish i caught blue fish which are gross i caught shark and stingray a stingray um but i did learn how to throw a cast net and catch my own baits and it was it was a great week like we just needed we needed some time to be together as a family and to rest and laugh um, we have a friend who lives with us and she is like Caroline's big sister and, um, she's a teacher here locally and she came and they, That's great. they just had the best time just running around on the beach and oh. it was a great week. So sounds amazing. Uh, so, man. so all that to say, yes, I am coming out of it quite a bit darker, um, but also quite a bit lighter. Oh, 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 I see, see what yeah, you did there. What I did there, yeah. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> well said. That was that was good. That was very yeah. good, man. Hey, well, let's um, definitely thank our listeners um, for continuing to listen. Obviously, thank you, folks, for that. Thank you for the the five star reviews that we've been getting. If you haven't, please uh, five star review us if you would. And and share share the the podcast with uh, with friends, family, coworkers. Um, let people know. I mean, really, that that's the number one way we are spreading the word right now is through word of mouth. But uh, but we really appreciate 
your uh, your willingness to stick with us. And and PW, I know you've interacted with a, a fair amount of people. Um, we both have to some extent, but you, you, I think even more so with listeners who've reached out. Yeah. And that's been probably, I mean, a highlight for me is that folks would, would trust us enough to say, Hey, like, you know, what do you think about this? Can I bounce these ideas off of you? Um, you know, some, some have, you know, actually kind of taken the dive to meeting with the financial advisors that we trust and, and are just saying, Hey, like, I, I really need to get organized. Like this, this is a, the time of life where we have to, to set up, you know, a will, a trust, like, how do we, how do we do this? How do we set up life insurance? Yeah. And so that level of trust is really special. We don't take it lightly. And um, so, yeah, I would reiterate that. I mean, just thank you for listening and for um, yeah. investigating, you know, yeah. I don't, None of neither one of us want people to buy this because we said so. Like that's the worst case scenario. Oh, right. Yeah. We, yeah hopefully, we'll, our conversation will prompt others to research and learn more and get educated yeah. further themselves. Yeah. Right. I I I think that you know at some point the lanes that I'm in and the lanes you're in are going to dry up, and we won't have we won't have any bandwidth to re, to learn something else, and we'll need our friends. We'll need listeners to, to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Check this out. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I agree, man. That's great. That's great. And so we are today, we're talking, we're going to be talking about our previous interview. So we're going to kind of recap and debrief our interview with Miles Alexander, who is the architect. Very, very successful. Very um Sounds like popular is, is what you and I were talking about before PW. He, I know you just said he is so well liked by so many because he's so great at relationally connecting with people, um, being involved, putting himself out there. And, uh, and so, and we had a great interview. You had a great interview with him. I couldn't be there with you, but having listened through it, there's so much value that I think we're, I'm looking forward to unpacking with you today uh, about that interview. Yeah, we, um, I was really bummed that you weren't able to be there, but hopefully you got to get a sense of just who Miles is. I think, I mean, I think it was, he was just, he's very transparent. Um, so the interview was, it was just catching up with an old friend. It was, it was a blast, um, you know, to, to hear more of a story and just to, to be with him. Like, I just love being with him. He, he inspires me to keep learning and to do better. And, uh, he's just a fascinating individual. So let's, uh, you want to, you want to jump into this? Yeah, let's dive in. And I know we're looking to use that the formula that we've talked about before is kind of maybe a, a framework as we look at this, right? So the, we've talked about it in previous episodes, this idea of what will lead someone to their lane of investment and you talk about values plus your gifting plus a wealth of knowledge or your wealth of knowledge plus cash flow equals your lane of investing. So we're going to apply that formula to what we saw in that interview, right? Yeah. And when we've, when we've, because uh, we've introduced this formula like several times and it's not rocket science, it's, it's very basic. It's just something, you know, something I've used in in the past to for myself 
you know, to kind of figure out, okay, where is a good place that I can invest my time and resources? And, um, and so we're just using the same formula to kind of unpack what, what Miles shared with us. And, and, and we're, I don't think we're going to try and reinterpret anything you said. I'm just literally, we're literally going to talk about like what we learned from talking with, with Miles, like what he had to teach us. And, yep. and we would, I think we, we would both put this in the category of, you know, if you're looking at the formula, which is values plus gifting plus wealth of knowledge plus cash flow equals lane of investment, that our interview with with Miles um, covers on most of those things. But the title of our um, of his podcast was You Are Your Best Investment. And yep. that really does, even though it you know kind of envelops a lot of different things, it it sits under the wealth of knowledge piece for us that you know one of the best things you can do is increase uh, your wealth of knowledge to be a constant learner and then when combined with your natural gifting and and you know your family values your value set um, it can really i don't know i don't want to say provide but it can open up opportunities to jump into it to a lane yeah it's uh, it's very it, and they all work together they all kind of overlap and, and there's there's it's not necessarily a a progression as much as it is these are the things that kind of all coexist together that you kind of have to almost unpack or figure out about yourself right mm -hmm. when when people are working through their values i mean that's that's a pretty mechanical component um you already know what you value it may take a little help to unpack it and to write it down and um gifting is you know i do i i work with people in and they'll do a self-assessment. They'll get other people to assess themselves. And then, you know, if they really want to, we can throw in an Enneagram or, you know, or Myers yeah. or just something to just see, you know, understand hardwiring the, but people really get stuck on, on the education piece. And I think because mm -hmm. you've talked about this a ton, because we've given responsibility over historically to somebody else. Oh yeah, that is so true. <laughs> and yeah. it's hard to get out of that because, it seems, it just seems beyond us. It seems like really esoteric, just, just bigger than anything we could figure out. And I think, I think some of the, some of the markets are intentionally made. So, you know, so we will stay kind of paralyzed and stuck in our, in our right. hole and just have to say, okay, you know, you guys are smarter than me. You guys take this over. And, um, Exactly. We, we've been told basically that, yeah, we're not smart enough. We need to depend on them. But when, we, when you look at this formula, though, and it starts with who you are and your values, yeah. your wealth of knowledge, your gifting, like people don't think about investing, I think, often in that, in that way. I think they think of some, it's something outside of them that they have to put their money in that, that, in, that is very risky. Yeah. But when, but when you look at this formula, which I'm so grateful how, how, you, how you kind of put this together PW because it just helps to create a, that framework of like, so really we're just, we're leveraging the best of us and the best of how God created us to be. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of provides the opportunities. And, and I think obviously miles talked a lot about how that happened in his situation. We, we obviously, you know, this is a, this is a spiritual endeavor for us, you know, for you, for you and I. And so yep. I, I know that there are people listening that, are not um that's not their worldview and, and i totally respect that um 
I always want to identify the, the idea of kingdom values. And those values, you know, are that, that God has um, placed in us a desire in some, at, in, at some level to reflect his, uh, his characteristics here on earth. And when we're able to kind of live in those value sets, we really do see the kingdom come. Mm. right now that it's the on earth as it is in heaven piece like he doesn't need us but he allows us to be a part of it Mm -hmm. and and so the values that we are reflecting which are basically just his his values that we appreciate when we get to live live out those values um and employ the gifting right that he's imparted to us yep and but then there's a choice he gives us a choice to say like, Hey, if you're going to be a part of this, like, do you want to be educated in this? Do you want to master this part of the equation? Because I think this is part of the, part of the thing we get to have control over at least a little bit. Yeah. I get to control what books I read, the education that I receive. Um, most of which is free. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. of the information is out there. Right. Yeah. I get to control the people that I surround myself with. Miles talked about that. The, the three men that, that, you know, and, and I think one lady being his mom that really have influence over him mm-hmm. that are able to push him and, and, you know, listen. And, um, you know, we, we get some control over that and all that we kind of, kind of wrap up into, you know, wealth of knowledge. Um, there's a cash flow piece to it. You know, there, there is a, a learning curve, that learning curve costs money, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, if you make mistakes, it costs money. Everybody makes mistakes. And so it will cost a little bit time. It costs a, a decent amount of time. Yeah. We, we were talking beforehand that when you get started in something like this, even, even if it's, if it's in, within your, your um, sweet spot of gifting and wealth of knowledge, it's still, there's a learning process and you will be incredibly inefficient <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. Right. And as you yeah. learn, you become more efficient as you learn and grow and experience. And, um, but yeah, you have to pay for that education. Yeah. When I was in college, I went to school for physiology. My professors worked for Gatorade. And so they were always working with performance athletes. And mm-hmm. so I, I remember it's, it might be one of the only things I remember from college was this we called it a skill wheel, but I'm not sure what other people call it. Um, but it's a, it's a box. It's not even a wheel. It's a box. It's got four quadrants and the, the top left quadrant is unconscious incompetence. The top, <laughs> right, the top right is conscious incompetence. The bottom yeah. right is, um, is conscious competence. And then the bottom left, you know, so you're again, we're moving clockwise the bottom left is unconscious competence. Yeah. Okay. So, so in the beginning of a process, you don't know and you can't do. Yeah. And then, you know, and you can't do, then, you know, and can do. And then at some point, unconscious competence means muscle memory takes over and you don't have to think about it and you can do it. Well, that process mm-hmm. laid out in real life, is going to cost you a lot of time. It could be really ugly. Yep. All of us right now are thinking about times where, you know, we started something and to everybody else, it looked like a train wreck. Yeah. 
Yeah. Some, somehow we're on the other side of it and it worked, you know, whatever that it is. The, what we would talk about in, in our, in our group, uh, in, in this class was the fact that that top right wheel was the conscious incompetence, meaning like you knew and you still couldn't do. And it's yeah. that brutal process. We look at like, you know, we've talked about the, the elephant and the rider concept that, you know, the came out in the late nineties teaching. And again, yeah, just briefly the, the elephant being your emotions. Yeah. So in one person, there is a 200 pound person rider they call the rider, which is logic, logic, intellect, and reason. And then there's a 2000 pound animal, which is emotion. So if you're going to move somebody across a continuum, if you're going to sell them a product, if you're going to, you know, influence them in any way, you got to give the rider enough data and reason. And then you, but you've got to make the elephant feel really good. And the elephant's in charge because there's more of them. Mm-hmm. You've got to make the elephant feel really good about making that move. And so right. we, I realized when I took those two examples and put them together, that that top right quadrant is what murders people. So mm-hmm. once you learn and you still can't do is where people get frustrated and they, and they quit. And so you've got to feed that elephant. And this is where we would encourage people like when I'm, when I know something and I still can't do it, it's, it's surrounding myself with people that are constantly encouraging me, right? Yes. It's, when I'm surrounding myself with people that are already examples of what I could be or could do, um, it helps me to move into that place where I've hit as a teaching tennis, you know, it's a 10,000 ball rule. We've heard of the 10,000 hour rule. It's I move into that third quadrant of conscious competence, right? So I know it and I can do it. Mm, yep. and, as, and once I get through the 10,000 balls, it really does become muscle memory and it becomes like automated in a sense. One of the things we're going to talk about in the next podcast is just like when you are working through your, you becoming an investor, number one, you got to pick a lane and then you got to like practice. It can look pretty bad to other people and it can look pretty bad to yourself. I mean, like that kind of self-discouragement is, is a real thing. But the biggest lesson that I took from Miles, and this is kind of where we're going to start, is once you've picked your lane and you're kind of working through your, your stuff, you have to protect the goal. Hmm. You know, and, and he said it a couple times, but it was, mainly, it was really strong through the whole, whole entire couple of hours I was talking with hmm. him, is he wanted a certain lifestyle. He wanted freedom for his family. Yeah, that's right. He wanted his wife, one of them, it doesn't really, I guess it didn't matter, but somebody to be able to, to stay home and educate their kids and to, he wanted to be around his kids more. He wanted, you know, there was a certain, there was a goal in place and for him to hit that goal um, and that goal for them was, you know, more of a, a lifestyle. Back up just a second because it, it, sure. it leads, you were talking about before the, um, the idea that just what changes your mindset to be able to, to be willing to take that step to, to, to be, you know, to invest in something, to become an investor, to become a producer, if you will, is another way we've, we've used to describe that. Um, He talked about the fact that there, there was that sometimes it takes a, a dramatic situation in our life that, that, causes us enough pain to decide to, to change in some way. Mm. And, and I think Miles talked about the fact that he was, 
in a different situation as an architect, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think he he saw, in a sense, it sounds like what he didn't want, and then and then kind of suffered yeah. a, a certain extent as a result of that. And then tying back into what he, he it clarified for him what he wanted for his family is back to what you were saying. Yeah, that's a great point. to make that that change, right? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think he had said that he saw how architecture firms could only progress by being bought out by other firms. Yeah, and I think that that was the impetus, I guess, to to working for himself. Um, yeah, because that didn't fit his as we learned it didn't fit his values in terms of him wanting to be able to serve people well. Right. He's like, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to leave a legacy to my kids where they could see what I built and they could say, daddy, daddy did that. But he also said he wanted to have, you know, build a business or several businesses that employed families that employed Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. right. That took care of people. And so there's, there's many things that are part of that end narrative. And we talk about in narratives all the time. There's the story mm-hmm. we tell and there's the story we want told of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think mm-hmm. I was, I just having a great time listening to his, his, um, his comments, his story, because those two concepts came back constantly. Yeah. You know, what's the story that, that his kids are going to tell about mom and dad and the decisions they made um, and even other people. I mean, what are other people going to say, you know, who Miles Alexander, you know, was, is, Mm -hmm. um, and that, that does determine, um, the elements and the steps and the, and the practices, um, that he employs now, even down to, this is fascinating, even down to, you know, he said his pain points were developers or builders and clients. Yes. Two things that made it hard for an architect. Yeah. He said he loves his clients, but you know, he made it. So, you know, he said, it's not his idea, but somebody, you know, had come up with the idea of, of, you know, building several businesses that, that kind of work in tandem, I guess. That's why he started the first season was to build the architecture firm, get it up and running, get it stable. Mm-hmm. And then the design build firm, Mm-hmm. And then the construction company after that, or I might, That's be, right. I may be getting the order wrong, but there's certain gaps that he's just like, I don't want to deal with these. And so this is how I'm going to build this, this is how I'm going to structure it. Yep. And each business is built in such a way that it provides cash flow. Right. So it's interesting. Like we can be in a, that's why we don't like the market because the market doesn't provide cash flow. Investing in someone's business can provide cash flow. Um, As in the stock market, I want to make sure I yeah, clear. Sorry, investing the stock in the market. stock market doesn't provide yeah. cash flow. You know, at best, you get a yearly dividend. He's actually using his businesses as cash flow machines. As they're very robust in the sense of you know they're not small. They employ, they employ people. They provide value. Yeah. Um, they he's able to to use it, to leave a legacy. Um, so I think the entire story put together was, is, is fascinating. I mean, I just, I learned a ton just from listening to him. Yeah. I love the statement he said too, at the beginning where he's talked about leveraging the capital that he had. And, and he was talking about more than just money when it came to capital, he was talking about 
say that a different way because I feel like that is a really important point for folks that are listening right now, myself included, who aren't just like rolling in beds of cash. So <laughs> yeah, when, you right, say, right. when you say capital, like unpack mm-hmm. that. So capital is capital is money. Capital is your knowledge. You are capital <laughs> because you are you are a a resource basically. Um, experience, expertise, relationships, networks. The, these are capital. These are resources. Um, obviously, the again, from a Christian perspective, the greatest capital we have is in Christ. Um, we, we, we are children of, of the God, the King of the universe, the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, as, as you've said, PW. And so, but he looked at his, his capital which would, he, he said specifically, and I think you mentioned this already, PW, but he, that he knew he was a licensed architect and he knew the construction industry. Hmm. And he decided he wanted to leverage, um, again, think the relationships, the experience and expertise, the education he had, and he wanted to leverage all that capital he had to be able to create income producing machines through, through these businesses. Yeah. And I think he even specifically said like the greatest amount of revenue he could produce would be through that structure. Yeah. Like he would be able to maximize, maximize the potential. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, that's another thing we point to is, is if you are really leveraging who you are, there's more than a possibility that, that you can, you can max out the revenue potential. I don't look at, at the stock market right now and think, man, I can really max out my investments. No, right. Cause you're not even, we've talked about this. You're not in close enough proximity to even know and, yeah. and to understand how to. How and you're not to in control. Get... You're not in control of any of it. And I feel like, you know, we're going to beat this horse until it's dead and bloody, but it is, it's the message. It is the message. Like there are other things to invest in, especially in the season of, of, incredible tension. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse, you know, with whatever you believe of Trump, you know, just the fact that he's publicly stating that he may not be willing to step down. I know that people will pull their money, even just temporarily when things get crazy, because anytime an investor has money, a savvy investor has money in a place and that place becomes unstable or vulnerable, they will pull it. Yep. And so you gotta have to you have to ask yourself what's going to happen to your money when they pull theirs. Yep. You know the rule for traders when they're looking at the screen is it says the market takes the um, the stairs up and the elevator down. So you <laughs> like visually when you're looking at a stock chart you'll see these little you know yeah. little squiggly line kind of ramping itself up and then you see these long straight lines down. And a sell-off is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's those, the longer the lines, the more the panic. And, yep. and you won't know it until it happens. And so that's, that's the unfortunate part is when, when the people who control Wall Street decide that they're going to sell off, you won't be fast enough. You're at the back of the line to remove your money. Yeah. So we've, we've outlined two scenarios. We can go back to 18, you know, we can mm-hmm. drop below this range that we've been ranging in and drop to 18. If we go to 18,000 on the Dow, it should go to 15, mm-hmm. which is a big Fibonacci kind of support level. Yeah. 
Um, so you're you're a sitting duck, man. Yeah. The other scenario is that somehow mania happens where everybody loses their mind together, which is I just don't believe it's possible. But every day I'm just like, this could actually happen. Like yeah. people could could believe the lies so much and leave their money in, and there could be mass reinvestment. And that market really could go into the high 30s and possibly 40. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. It, let's just say that's the scenario and, you, and you, you've made so much money, then what? There's only one outcome to that parabola making that final move, which is a parabolic move down. So either you pull it at the top, which makes you a genius, and you get hit with capital gains, so you better find something to invest in, but you haven't spent any time on your wealth of knowledge. So now you don't know, and then you're going to give it to somebody else and they don't know either because this is the only thing they know. I mean, there's, well, there's is, some real problems here. That is so well said PW. I love that you said that, that just, it, wow. I don't think people realize some of these things that we're talking about. I know even as you just said that it was like a light bulb going off in my mind. Yeah, we have to think. I mean, Miles is literally thinking in the long term. So let's play the long game with him. What happens if you leave your money in? And and for whatever reason, it goes to the top and you pick the top. You're going to get hit with capital gains. So you got to pull it out and you got to do something with it. I don't think that's going to be many people. And it's not going to be many people listening to this podcast. This is called blue collar money, not white collar money. (laughs) The blue collar people are going to get screwed in this process. And, yeah. uh, so you'll be back down, you know, a reasonable place for the market to be is 15 to 18. And after that parabola decides to, comp- you know, to basically compress to regulate itself, it comes back into that range. And here's the, here's the, the worst, worst case scenario is you're exactly where you started and you've mm-hmm. lost five, seven, 10 years. Yeah. If you're a guy like I'm going to be 50 in March, that's like worst case scenario is I've lost all that time. Yeah. Because interest only works over time. Yep. Yep. It only works over time. My, my little interest bearing slaves are going to make more slaves for me. More money makes more money. You know, it only, that only works over time. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't just happen indefinitely. That's kind of the, the myth of compound interest that you hear yeah. financial advisors talk about is the, the, the miracle of compound interest that, you know, you, it, it doesn't, ha- we, yeah. And what's the next question? Compound interest in what market? Well right. said. Yeah. And then they're right. going to say, well, this market, you mean like the only market, right. <laughs> the only right. market that you're identifying, like it is such crap. And it's all dependent on new money coming in. Are we getting more people into the system? Yeah. Is there, and then, and then the money that you have in there is really an illusion because it's not, it's, it's because if, if people start taking it out, like you said, your value comes down. Yeah. It's the, it's one of the greatest Ponzi schemes ever. And we're all involved. Yeah. I mean, not, not either one of us. Um, <laughs> right. No, I, yeah. Thank and, you. I, and I don't say that to, to be a jerk. I'm just saying like, thank God. Thank God that we have a season yeah. to look at other things. Yep. And figure out how we can produce value. 
Um, this, this podcast is not going to be long because the lesson is really simple. Folks, yeah. if, if you're listening, you have got to start thinking, if you haven't already, about, about the legacy that you want to leave, the investment that you will have made in people, and how you're going to get there. Yeah. And, and we have that, we have a really basic formula, but I also know that that formula can, you can get stuck in it. And you know, it's the, the conscious incompetence, like a little bit of knowledge is, is, is not crazy helpful unless you've got some good examples and some, you know, a little bit of handholding. Mike and I have both had that. We've had coaches, we've had people educate us like, well, I was going to say, if you feel stuck, like make sure you reach out. Oh yeah. We would love love to be able to talk to you about this and and ask just sometimes maybe ask the right questions to un, unpack some um some new ideas and, and some new insights about yourself you may not even realize some of the gifting that you have or where your wealth of knowledge is until maybe yeah. you have someone to talk about and share some experiences and someone can kind of say hey did you hear that that what you just said there that that that's a an area of interest that you have that that seems to be a place where you may have a wealth of knowledge or a gifting um and then i, I just wanted to say too that and, and you and i've talked about that before too pw just you say something i hear it i say it back you hear yeah. it differently that that's the that's the goal here is as we seek to educate ourselves that um, it, there's a, a virtuous cycle here that happens where we, you get around other people who are talking about it with you. Um, it just helps to understand to me, Miles Alexander reminded me of the Proverbs 31 woman. And I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I'm laughing because if Miles is listening right now, he's thinking, well, my hair is pretty beautiful. <laughs> If you, and, um, if you haven't seen a picture of Miles, he has perfect hair. It's it is beautiful. <laughs> when you were when you were interviewing him, man, and, and and the wind blowing through it, and he's just running his yeah. hands through, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I mean is, so when you look at the the Proverbs thirty one woman, it I mean, read through it. It's one of the greatest examples in scripture of of an entrepreneur that that you'll find. And she is so diligent in doing a myriad of different things that um, from investing uh, in, in a business to making clothing and selling it on the market, um, all sorts of different things that, that she's doing. Um, and, and I think the word that's used to describe her in her, and I'm looking for, for where it is, I can't find it, but it basically that she's diligent. Um, or another word that's used in, in a different um, uh, translation here is willing hands or diligent hands. And she's clearly leveraging her strengths, um, her wealth of knowledge, um, and she's being generous in it as well. So she's you know, reaching out to the poor and the needy, um, but she's doing a, a, a whole bunch of different things. And I, and I see that in Miles as he talks about, you know, the architecture firm and construction and, and fish. <laughs> and uh, um, what was the other one? Oh, barbecue. So he, yeah. he's a barbecue guy too, but he's, he's not afraid to, to jump in and get going and get to work with diligent hands. Uh, and, and I think the more we, begin to, to understand ourselves and our values and our gifting and where our wealth of knowledge 
lies. That's where I think God really does want us to be diligent in, mm. in our, in our efforts. Um, and then lastly, something to remember in PW and I were talking about this beforehand and sticking with Proverbs, Proverbs two, seven, and this is the HCSB version, the Holman Christian standard Bible. Um, in case anybody's wondering, but it's, it says he, God stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity. So the, the idea here is that word success, he stores up success. It's, it's actually also another way to just to translate it be resourcefulness. Hmm. So, so we know that in, in our endeavors, um, economically investing that when we, when we, we're not in it alone, again, we're, God is in it with us, especially when we're leveraging our own gifting and values and wealth of knowledge, like miles has, has done. God is working on our behalf to provide for us. He's working on our behalf. He's going ahead of us to, to some, maybe sometimes make connections and, and ultimately to store up success or, or resourcefulness for, um, for those who trust him. So I think that's beautiful. And that's our part in it, right? That's the, that's the, the payoff in, in part for us. Um, and for God, it's in restoring all things to himself. Amen. Yeah. Right? So there, and for whatever reason, we get to take part in it to experience and leverage some of the gifts. Um, but the overall goal, and I think you had, you had given me a quote by a guy named Ellis Hammond. Um, oh yeah. Right. He has a, he has a, th- a three tier model for investment, which is revenue, community impact and spiritual influence. When I think of that, you know, what that spiritual influence that is, it's just that God would use us to bring people back to him and that he would use it to restore broken things and broken systems. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, this idea of shalom. I obsess over that concept. And, and when I see it in person, it, hmm. I, can, I can't forget it. Hmm. When, I, when yeah. I see people doing everyday things, you know, and, and, and I see God leading them and you, and I get to experience either through them or watching just some part of redemption, man, I, I just obsess over that. I, that's the legacy that I want to leave. Um, is that people would look at me and say that he was directed by God and that God used him to redeem things. So whatever legacy is that, you know, you have, maybe touched on in your life. I think it, it, at this point in this season, maybe after listening to the last two podcasts, it really is time to take it seriously. Yeah. This tension is going to unravel in a pretty unsightly way. Hmm. And, um, and yet God is still God in all of it. And he wants us, to, I mean, he's, he's going to need stewards now and after this all, you know, that's right. Crazy. Right. That's right. And, uh, and I think of another proverb, uh, or no, Psalm 112, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Um, so I, yeah, we're seeing darkness on the horizon. <laughs> like the, there is a, there's some dark, hard times ahead. Um, but we can hold on to that promise and know that yeah. even in darkness, light will dawn for those of us who trust, who trust God. Yeah. 
Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to P.W. directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. 